we continue our trick through the minor prophets, looking for major messages within the minor prophet writings, tonight we want to go to Nahum. So I invite your attention to the book of Nahum. I want us to look at chapter 1. And we're going to look at the first 10 verses of chapter 1. The purpose of this study was for us to, uh, number one, spend some time in books that most of us don't spend any time in. Most of us don't, uh, uh, don't look at the minor prophets uh, with rare exception. We, we might look at passages that are familiar to us from Amos or from Micah, uh, but for the most part, we pass over the minor prophets and we move on to uh, other more familiar passages. Uh, there are things in the minor prophets that you would find beneficial to you that we hope we have been able to help draw out. Uh, when we, when we talk about Nahum, and that's the way it's pronounced, I've heard some people say Nahum, but that's not the appropriate pronunciation of the word. The, the, the proper title is Nahum, uh, the emphasis on the A, Nahum, Nahum. Uh, the name means comfort. It is a derivative of the name Nehemiah which means the Lord comforts or the comfort of the Lord. Uh, much like uh, we've been spending the last couple of weeks in the midday Bible study talking about a man named Micah from the book of Judges, don't let the fact that Nahum and Nehemiah share a common name uh, cause you to believe that they're the same person. They're two entirely different people with two entirely different assignments. But the other thing that... that, that uh, I wanted us to draw from this. The reason why we call this major messages from the minor prophets is because what we get from this is that God speaks to us uh, in certain situations to provide reassurance, even in gloomy or dark or dire circumstances. And most of what is written in the minor prophets is written during a time when God is announcing calamity, uh, uh, announcing trouble. Uh, trouble is either on the way uh, or trouble is there. In the case of Nahum, it's not trouble is on the way, it's that trouble is there, trouble has come. And Nahum is three chapters in length, short book. Uh, you could read it probably in 15 minutes. And most of the book deals with the people of Assyria, conquerors of the northern kingdom of Israel, and its capital city, Nineveh. So w whenever you see Nineveh in Nahum, uh, you're referring to the Assyrians uh, because Nineveh became the capital, much like Washington, D.C. is the capital of the United States, or Baton Rouge is the capital of Louisiana. 
Nineveh became the capital of the Assyrian Empire. So uh, any reference to Nineveh is a reference to the Assyrians. Now, when I bring up Nineveh, somebody ought to be saying, hmm, we've, we've, we, 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 we've heard Nineveh before, and you would be correct. Uh, the last time we heard about Nineveh was in the book of Jonah. Jonah's story, as we have said several times, is not so much a story about God's message to Nineveh, though there is a brief message to the Ninevites, to the Assyrians. It's about Jonah's reluctance to share God's message and his absolute anger with God that God showed Nineveh mercy. Jonah didn't want God to show Nineveh mercy. So it's more, the book of Jonah is more about the interaction that takes place between the people, uh, between the person, Jonah, and God. And Jonah questioning why God would be merciful to a people that Jonah despises. But what we find in Nahum is that while the Ninevites did uh, repent, while the Ninevites did turn away from their sin and for a brief period of time followed the Lord, their repentance was short-lived, did not last long at all. And before you know it, the Ninevites are back to doing the terrible things that they had done before. So most of what is found in Nahum chapters 1, 2, and 3 have to do with God's judgment against Assyria, God's judgment against the Ninevites. And you would say, well, what can we draw from that? The answer is, for us, personally, not a whole lot. The main message for us, the, the, the major message from this minor prophet is that while calamity is going on all around you, God's going to take care of you. Look at Nahum chapter 1. Look at the first 10 verses. A report on the problem of Nineveh, the way God gave Nahum of Elkosh to see it. God is serious business. He won't be trifled with. He avenges his foes. He stands up against his enemies, fierce and raging. But God doesn't lose his temper. He's powerful, but it's a patient power. Still, no one gets by with anything. Sooner or later, everyone pays. Tornadoes and hurricanes are the wake of his passage. Storm clouds are the dust he shakes off his feet. He yells at the sea. It dries up. All the rivers run dry. The Bashan and Carmel mountains shrivel. The Lebanon orchards shrivel. Mountains quake in their roots. Hills dissolve into mud flats. Earth shakes in the fear of God. The whole world's in a panic. Who can face such towering anger? Who can stand up to this fierce rage? His anger spills out like a river of lava. His fury shatters boulders. God is good. Do you see, do, do, do you see the shift? For six verses, 
All he does is talk about the vengeance and the justice of God. Verse 7 is where the shift comes. Verse 7 is the major message for us. God is good. A hiding place in tough times. He recognizes and welcomes anyone looking for help no matter how desperate the trouble. If you don't get nothing else tonight before you walk out of here, you get that verse. Because that's the verse that you need to cling to. Then he goes back to, 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 to telling you about terrible stuff. But cozy islands of escape, he wipes right off the map. No one gets away from God. Why waste time conniving against God? He's putting an end to all such scheming. For troublemakers, no second chances. Like a pile of dry brush soaked in oil, they'll go up in flames. So, the major message from this minor prophet is that with calamity all around, with, with, with trouble penetrating the very heart of God's people, Israel, the prophet's word is God is good and God will take care of you. Understand, the Assyrian Empire was the, was, was the greatest power of its day. They were extremely brutal people. They were conquerors. Uh, and the northern kingdom of Israel, you do know that, that, that Israel was divided in, into two parts. There, there was the northern kingdom, which was much larger, uh, called Israel, and the southern kingdom, uh, which was called Judah. Now, uh, Israel... Uh, ceases to exist around the year uh, 721 uh, B.C. Uh, it, it, it's taken away by this Assyrian empire. Uh, Judah is swept away a few years later, about 150 years later, by uh, the Babylonian empire in 586 uh, B.C. Uh, but the is whether it's the northern kingdom or the southern kingdom, these people were subject to harsh and terrible treatment on the part of others who were bent on their destruction. And it, 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 the, the relevance for us is it ought to ask, you ought to ask yourselves the question, have you ever been in the situation where it seems like everything is going wrong? Have you ever been in a situation where the trouble doesn't just come but it comes in waves, and it seems like the waves don't stop. Job is, is, is sitting uh, in his luxurious home, and he doesn't know that God and Satan have been talking about him. And, and uh, uh, God and Satan decided to see what Job would do. Uh, Satan comes before God. God says, where, where have you been? And, and Satan says, I've been going to and fro in the earth, seeking whom I may devour. And God says, well, while you were going to and fro, did you pay any attention to Job? He said, ain't none like him. Job, Job is my pride and joy. Job is a good fellow. Job uh, loves the Lord. He serves me well. He loves his family. 
He, he, and, and, and Satan said, don't, don't, don't give me all of that. He, 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 he's like that because you have protected him. You, you've built a hedge around him. If, if you let the hedge down, and if you let me get to him, I'll make him curse you to your face. And, 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 and God says, go ahead. See, 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 see what you can do. Go, go, go ahead. Try, try, try him and see what happens. And Job doesn't know any. Job wasn't in on the conversation. Uh, but, but, but the conversation was totally about him. And the next thing you see is that Job has waves of trouble come in. A servant runs to him and says, Master Job, all your uh, uh, crops were burned up. Uh, in, in, in the field, lightning struck, and all, all the crops were burned up. And all your servants who were out there tending to your crops died in the fire. I'm the only one who survived, and I came to tell you. And, and Job's heart sank. But before this fellow could stop, here comes somebody else running up. And, 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 and he says, Master Job, I'm, I, I'm the foreman over your livestock. And, and, and bandits came in, and, and they stole all your livestock, and they killed all the servants who were watching over your livestock, and I'm the only one who got away. And, and now Job was like, oh my goodness, I've lost my crops, and I've lost my livestock. What else could happen? And before he could get that out of his mouth, another guy comes running up, and he says, Master Job, I was with your children at at your oldest son's house, and they were having a party, and, and, and a hard wind came and blew, and it tore the house down, and everybody in the house died, and I'm the only one who escaped. Have you ever felt like trouble just comes in waves? We're not here to talk about Job, but I just had to. I, I like telling that. that. It, it, it comes in waves. Sometimes it seems like the waves don't stop. So what do you do when you're caught up in that kind of torment? And you think it stops there, but it doesn't because Job doesn't do what Satan expects him to do. Job, Job says what we love to hear. Naked I came into the world and naked I shall leave. The Lord gave, the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And the next thing you read, God and Satan are talking again. And God said, look at Job. Look, look, look at how he stood strong. You, you, you took his crops, you took his livestock, you took his children, and he still, he said, yeah, but you ain't let me touch him. I, tu I, I, I touched all his stuff, but I didn't touch him. You let me touch him, and I guarantee you, he'll, he'll, he'll curse you. And, and God says, go ahead and touch him. He said, not, not, mind yourself now. Right. You can touch him. But you can't kill him. And the next thing we read about Job is that sores have broken out all over his body. And he's forced to leave his home. And, and somebody asked the question, why, why did he have to leave his, his home? Because if, if he was broken out in sores, he was considered to be contagious. And so they didn't want anybody else who might have been around him to catch whatever it was that he had. The, the, the sores were an indication that he was under divine judgment. And so he had to go sit out in sackcloth and ashes, which is the apparel that those who are under divine judgment wear. And, and, and it's an indication of mourning. And, and he was in such terrible shape that dogs were licking his sores. And, and, and then 
we don't hear no more about God and Satan having a conversation, but obviously Satan talked to some other folk because Job's friends came running to see about him. But when they came running to see about him, all they did was tell him how terrible a person he was and, and how he needed to, to, to confess his sin because he must have done something wrong for God to allow this to happen to him. Job's wife, his beloved wife, Mrs. Job, <laughs> the, 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 the lady that he took and, and, and made his bride, Mrs. Job said, you still worshiping God? After all this that's happened to you, you done lost your livestock, you done lost your crops, you done lost us as children. You ain't got no health. And you still worshiping the Lord? You ought to cuss God and die. It comes in waves. It comes in waves. And if you've if you've never had the waves to roll in, the waves of trouble to roll in, you just ain't lived long enough. If, 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 if you live long enough, you'll go from having a financial problem to having a family problem to having an emotional problem to having a job problem, and they'll just mount and mount and mount, and you'll find yourself looking up to heaven saying, what are you doing to me? And, and, and there'll be a voice. It might not be Mrs. Joe, but there'll be a voice in your head saying, why don't you? I say, I wasn't going to say that. You, call, you called her name. I left it alone. <clears throat> There's going to be a voice of somebody telling you, you ought to cuss God and die. You're too good to let this happen to you. The word of the prophet to the people of Israel was that, yes, you're suffering calamity now. You're, you're in a terrible place. And, and, and these people are being harsh. I mean, they've deprived you of your freedom, of your liberty. They've deprived you of uh, the quality of your life. They've, they, they have deprived you of the pursuit of happiness. They've made you they're slaves, and they have humiliated you in the process. But here's, here's two things that I need you to know. I need you to know that God's going to deal with them in his own time and in his own way. And somebody in here likes that because some of y'all are, 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 are judgmental folk, and y'all like when other folk experience judgment. Be careful of liking that too much. See, y'all can read all this stuff about uh, uh, how, how the, the, the winds and the waves obey him, and, and when he moves, that's what causes dust storms and all this other kind of stuff. He speaks, and rivers and, and stuff dry up, and mountains shrivel, and you like that because it's directed towards other folk. But you don't like it so much when it's directed toward you. You don't like it when you're the one who shrivels up. You don't like it when you're the one who's facing the judgment. 
and, and, and you're probably sitting there saying, who, me? I would never have to worry about any judgment from God. After all, I'm pure as the driven snow. I don't ever do nothing wrong. I'm, 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 I'm good. I'm, I'm sweet. I'm kind. I'm loving. I always think pure and clean thoughts. I never think anything evil. I, I, never, do any, I never say anything out of place. I never gossip. I never lie. I, never, I, I always give back to folk what, what belongs to them. I never take anything that doesn't belong to me. And if you're thinking that, you lying. And the truth ain't in you. Be careful of liking the judgment part. The judgment part is a reality, but that's not the part that should make us feel good. The part that should make us feel good is verse 7. God is good. A hiding place in tough times. He recognizes and welcomes anyone looking for help no matter how desperate the trouble. See, that's, that's the major message because the question that we need to, to, to deal with tonight to make this relevant to us, and you, you and I ain't living in that time. We're not facing those kinds of circumstances. The question that we need to ask ourselves is, what is our Nineveh? Nineveh was, was, was the source of Israel's trouble. Nineveh was the source of Israel's pain. Nineveh was the source of Israel's hurt. My question to you is, what is your Nineveh? What's, what's the source of your trouble? What's the source of your pain? What's the source of your hurt? What is it that causes these waves of trouble to roll into your life? And here, here's, here's the cutting thing about that. It ain't stuff that's way out there. Most of our trouble is close to us. That's how it gets to be trouble in the first place. For somebody, maybe for all of us, but, but I know for somebody, even in this small group of people, for somebody, your trouble sits at your dinner table, lives in your house, eats your food, enjoys your cool air in the summer and your warm air in the winter. Your trouble drives your car and spends your money. That's the source of your trouble. That, that's your Nineveh. For somebody, it's a, it, it's a marriage that has gone wrong. It's a failed relationship. For somebody, it's a messed up home life. For somebody, it is a person in whom you put your trust who violated that trust, who let you down. For many people, your Nineveh is a person who's close to you. We sit up and, 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 and get on social media and we complain about the president and we complain about Congress and we complain about the governor and we complain about the mayor perhaps or the, 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 the Metro Council or the school board, those ain't the source of our real trouble. They are problematic. But you know what your real trouble is? People whom you have done the most for, who have no appreciation for what you have done for them. That's, that's the real source of your trouble. The real source of your trouble is when you put yourself out for somebody and they ain't got the decency to say thank you. 
Your real trouble is the one who, who keeps coming back time after time after time after time, always with the same lie. I ain't going to bother you no more. And the moment you say no, the moment you say I've gone as far as I can go, the moment you say I'm not, I'm not going to do it anymore, well, then you ain't no good. You don't love me. You need to stop talking about how much you love me. If you loved me, you'd do this. If you were a real Christian, I hate it when they say that. If you were a real Christian, that's, for many of us, that's our Nineveh. That's what it is we're dealing with. And that's why it hurts so much. You know, it, it, I, 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 have, I have people who, 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 want to talk to me about the presidential election coming up in two years. And, you know, we, we go back and forth about it. They got their opinions. I got mine. I'm right. They're wrong. But uh, 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 really, in the larger scheme of things, that don't matter no whole lot. I've had trouble when the person in the White House was the person I voted for. And I've had trouble when the person in the White House is somebody I didn't vote for. Didn't change the, the, the trouble that I had one way or the other, because my trouble wasn't about who sat in the White House. My trouble had to do with who sat in my house. My trouble was, was, was with people who violated my trust. And that kind of hurt is hard to overcome. It's hard to move past. It's hard for, for you to reconcile. But the word from the prophet for those who face Nineveh is God is good. A hiding place in tough times. He recognizes and welcomes anyone looking for help, no matter how desperate the trouble. So, with all that was said about Nineveh and about the Assyrians and about the trouble that they caused and, and, and all of that stuff, I want to lock in on those three things, and then we're going. Number one, God is good. There's a difference between good and great. We know that God is great, and I'm, and, and I'm appreciative for the fact that God is great. But I don't worship God merely because he is great. I worship God because he is good. I praise him because he is good. Because he does for me in spite of the fact that I'm not deserving of anything that he does. I stand on the truth of his goodness, not his greatness. And, and I know that when we were in school, when we were taught basic grammar, basic English, great was considered to be the superlative of good. But, but from a spiritual standpoint, they're two entirely different things. Great has to do with quantity. 
Great has to do with weight. Great has to do with, with, with width and breadth and mass. God is great from everlasting to everlasting. Thou art God. He, he is great. He is immense. There's no way that we can measure the greatness of who he is. But goodness is an entirely different thing. Whereas greatness has to do with mass and size and weight, goodness has to do with quality. The quality of who God is. And let me tell you something. If you're great and you ain't good, that's a terrible combination. In, in, in point of fact, is that not what the children of Israel are dealing with, with the Assyrian Empire? They were great. Militarily, they were great. Numerically, they were great. But they weren't good. They used their greatness in order to destroy the lives of other people. God is both great and good. And that's an unbeatable combination. So we, 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 we can acknowledge his greatness, but we serve him because he's good. Because he takes care of us. And if we truly appreciate the goodness of God, then we should seek the good things that God tells us to seek after. Here's my problem with, 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 with the church, especially the, the church of the 21st century. We, we stand God, but we spend our time seeking the great things of the world. And those two things don't compute. 758 million tonight, right? Isn't that what it is? I, yeah, y'all want to act like you didn't know what I was talking about. Seven, $758 million is, is what the Powerball is. For those of you who can't see those big red numbers as you move at five miles an hour down the interstate, you know. It ain't like you whizzing by at 65 and 70. Traffic is bumper to bumper. You moving at five miles an hour. I know you see those big red numbers out there. That's, that's, that's great. And, and, and somebody tonight, maybe all y'all tonight, going to stop by the store on your way home. Somebody already did. Because cause, 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 cause you want your share of the 750 plus million because you want greatness. Here's the thing. Money will make you great, but money can't make you good. And, and, and while we say that we worship God because he is good. I spent five minutes talking about the difference between good and great. While we say that we worship God because he's good, we're looking for things that will make us great. 
we want folk to, 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 to like us. Or we want folks, some folk don't care about being liked. We want folk to fear us. Oh, the word you like to use is respect, because respect sounds a whole lot better than fear. But truth be told, you don't, you don't want respect as much as you want fear. That's why y'all say stuff like, they ain't going to never cross me again. I'm going to show them. I'm going I'm to let them know who they messing with. We, we want folk to fear us. We, we, we want respectability. How, how's that for you? That makes you feel better. But that kind of, that kind of influence, that's, that's not about goodness. That's about greatness. Jesus said, if you really want to be who God wants you to be, you have to make yourself the servant of everybody. Jesus asked the question, what what good does it do? What do you gain if you get all the world's stuff but lose your soul? The dichotomy in this passage is not what he says, it's what we seek. He says God is good. We say amen, but we spend all our time seeking greatness, not goodness. We want a greater car. We want a greater house. We want a greater job. We want a greater marriage. We want greater children. We want greater position. Everything we want is about greater, not good. Yes, sir. Sure. It's, it, it's one reason why. Because if you have prosperity, you tend to rely more on the prosperity than you do on the Lord. I, I say all the time, our problem is we get so hooked up on the blessing, we forget about the blesser. That's, that's our weakness. That, that's our trouble. We... When we pray, and if I'm not talking to you, then I'm not talking to you, but I'm talking to somebody. When we pray, do we talk to the Lord about give us more pure hearts? Give us, give, give, give us more humble spirits? Give us a mind more like yours? Or do we talk to the Lord about I need money to pay the energy bill? this month, or I need a better job because they getting on my last nerve, and I don't want to be there no more. I want you to make my spouse, my boyfriend, my girlfriend, my significant other treat me better because they ain't treating me. What is it that you pray about? Don't shout it out to me. Just think about it and ask yourself, do you pray more about greatness or about goodness? And I fear that more of us deal with greatness than goodness. We claim that we want good. But what we really want is great. And it's indicated in how we pray. It's indicated in those things that we seek after. It's indicated in those things that we consider to be the most important things. The passage doesn't say that God is great. It goes without saying that God is great. Everything that's written before you get to verse 7 tells you that God is great. 
Hurricanes and tornadoes move at his command. Dust storms come up because he shakes the dust off of his feet. Mountains shrivel because he decides they're going to shrivel. Oceans and, and rivers dry up because he says dry up. All of that's an indication of his greatness. For six verses, he talks about how great he is. But the key that he says is not that he's great. But in verse 7, he says he's good. I challenge you to, to shift your prayer life from talking about great stuff to talking about good stuff. I challenge you to, to, to stop asking the Lord for material things and start asking him for spiritual blessings and maturity. It'll shift. It'll change your whole prayer life. It'll change everything about you. Have you not read what the Lord said? If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. Self is all about greatness. You want to make yourself great. Deny self. First thing he says, we need, we, we need to worry less about being great and more about being good. Yes. Mm-hmm. I would hope both of us said it. I'm, I'm fairly certain he did, but I hope I said it too. <clears throat> because because that, that's really the key. I, I challenge people from time to time to pray a prayer without asking for anything. Don't ask for nothing. Just thank him for what he's done. And thank him for what he's doing. I understand that there are times when you need to, to make a petition to God. I understand that, that, that there are things that are going on in your life and you want help. So I'm not saying that, that, that you shouldn't ever ask for anything. But I'm saying if, 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 if your prayer life can be reduced to a wish list, and that's all it is, then you've got a bad prayer life. And I don't care what's on the list. I don't care how noble you think your request. I'm not asking for me. I'm asking for somebody. Else. How about don't ask nothing? You can't pray one prayer in a week where you don't ask for nothing. And I ain't talking about a one-sentence prayer, Lord have mercy. Either. I'm talking about a true prayer. You, 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 you can't go, you, you can't offer one prayer in a week where all you do is say thank you for what you've already done. And I trust you for whatever's going to happen. That goes along with that too. Not only thank you for what you've done, but I trust you for whatever's going to happen. Because if you trust him for whatever's going to happen, then whatever's going to happen is all right. Because you know that he's in charge. God is good. Second thing he says is that he's a hiding place. 
in times of trouble. Now, that's, that number two is an extension of number one. Nahum is essentially saying, I know he's good because when trouble comes, he hides me. And what does a hiding place mean? The King James Version, a refuge in the time of trouble. What is a refuge? What is a hiding place? It's a place of safety in the midst of calamity. A thousand shall fall at thy side and 10,000 at thy right hand. It shall not come nigh thee. In this world, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. Places throughout Scripture, the word is given to us that when trouble comes, God can take care of. I want you to see what the scripture does not say. It does not say that there won't be any trouble. Show that to me. Show, sh show me where it says there won't be any trouble. As I read, a hiding place in tough times. Now, if he provides a hiding place for tough times, the assumption is that there will be tough times. So then let me ask you this question. Why you get all upset when they're tough times? As though you haven't been told that tough times are coming. My mom used to always say, just keep getting up in the morning. Two things she used to always say. Keep getting up in the morning. Keep bending that knee. And those two go together. As you keep getting up in the morning, you better keep bending that knee. Because when your eyes open, you don't know what you're waking up to. And the first thing you need to do, once your eyes open and you're able to get up out the bed, assuming you can get up out the bed, you need to bend that knee. I got a call today as I was coming back to the church after lunch from a cousin of mine who lives in California, and he was letting me know about the, the declining health of some of our cousins uh, on my mother's side of, of, of the family. One is battling with kidney failure, and the other one is battling with strokes and prostate cancer. And he was telling me, uh, you, you might want to give him a call because we don't know what the outcome is going to be. And the first thought that came to my mind when he told me that was, they too young for all of that. And then I realized they ain't as young as I thought they were. I'm still thinking of them as being youngsters in their 20s and 30s when one is 65 and the other one is 62. Still, ain't old. I know some of y'all saying, that ain't old. <clears throat> but it's older than I was giving them credit for being. 
And, and, and then it struck me, if they're that old, you know who else is that old? I'm that old. Because if I'm able to keep them in their late 20s and early 30s, I'm able to keep me. These were my big cousins. I was able to keep me down in my younger 20s. Like I ain't looked in the mirror recently. And realized, if you keep getting up in the morning, things are going to change. And when things change, trouble comes. And when trouble comes, you need a hiding place. What you don't need to do is sit around and, and, and shake your fist at God and say, how dare you allow trouble to come? No, what you need to do is say, thank you that when the trouble comes, you provided cover. When it rains, do you get mad that it rains or do you... Or, or do you get glad that you're inside watching the rain on the outside? I don't like it when it rains on Sunday. It can rain every other day of the week. But, 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 but I don't like it when it rains on Sunday. Me and God have conversations all the way to church when it rains on Sunday. But, but, but you know what I thank God for? When it rains. I stay dry. I live in a house that keeps me dry. When I step out of the house, I step into a car that keeps me dry. And I drive through the, through the wet streets of the city, and I don't get wet one time. And when I pull up to the church, I get out of the car, and I walk into the church, and I stay dry. So I don't have to worry about the rain because I got cover. Do you understand my point? I don't sit up there and say, God, except on Sunday morning. Why, why you let it rain? I roll, I roll with it. It rain? Okay. It rain. I don't get mad when it gets cold. Temperatures drop. Now, it don't happen that often here, but, but if, if the temperatures drop down into the 30s, I'm good. You know why? Because I walk up to a, to, to a box, and I push a And when I push the button, if it's cold outside, it's warm on the inside. I don't get mad when it's hot, because I walk up to that same box, and then I have to push two different buttons. I have to push one to go from heat to cool. Then I have to push the other button and hold it until the number goes down to a number that I like. And so I don't worry about it. I don't, I, I don't curse the heat. I don't curse the cold. I don't curse the rain, except on Sunday morning. Because I've got cover. I've got cover. And the promise in the text is not only that God is good, but that he's a hiding place in tough times. Hiding place means that you're safe. A hiding place means that you're protected. A hiding place means that 
while there's harm all around you, there's no harm with you. God is good. He's a hiding place in tough times. Then the last thing, and I'm done. Y'all going to get out of here five minutes early. Last thing. He recognizes and welcomes anyone who is looking for help, no matter how desperate the trouble. Now, we're back to greatness, okay? The first six verses of, of the first chapter of Nahum, Nahum describes the greatness of God, the, the terror of God, the, the, the power of God in destructive ways. He breathes and hurricanes and tornadoes pop up. He moves and dust kicks up all over the place. He speaks and mountains quiver and shrivel and oceans dry up and riverbeds dry up. That's the greatness of God in destructive ways. And that's directed towards none of it. That's directed towards the Assyrians. And we can acknowledge the greatness of God when it's directed towards our enemies. But this last thing in this seventh verse talks about the greatness of God in a different way. He's good. He's a hiding place. And he recognizes and welcomes anyone looking for help, no matter how desperate the trouble. You say, well, what does that have to do with goodness? This is what it has to do with goodness. He recognizes your desire for help because he can help. It wouldn't do no good to take your stuff to the Lord if he couldn't help you. It wouldn't do any good for us to tell you to take your burden to the Lord and leave it there if he couldn't help you, if there was nothing he could do about it. But the promise of the prophet is no matter how desperate the trouble he can fix it. That's good news. And that speaks of his greatness on a whole different level. That speaks of his greatness not in destructive terms, but in constructive terms. And I, I need to know that God is constructively great. I need to know that God can tear down, but he also builds up. I need to know that God can cast you far away, but he can also pull you near. I need to know that God can punish, but the psalmist says he doesn't keep his anger forever. I need to know that God is not only destructively powerful, but he's also constructively powerful. Because I won't speak for you, I'll just speak for me. I get broken down sometimes. You know, I'm old now. I'm, 
and, and, and there are parts that don't work the way that I wish that they would. There, 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 there are times when I have breaks in my mind and in my spirit. There, there, there are times when, when folk say stuff and do stuff, and I want to say stuff and do stuff back. And I know I shouldn't, and I know I'm not supposed to. Th 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 those are broken places in my life. There, 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 there are times when, when I claim mercy for myself, but I want justice for somebody else. That, that's what I mean when I say broken parts. Y'all thought I was talking about physical stuff. I'm talking about mental and emotional and spiritual stuff. There are times when I just don't feel like being nice. There are times when somebody says, Reb, can I just have five minutes here now? No, you can't have no five minutes. I had 30 people ask me for five minutes today. I ain't talking about y'all. I'm talking about me. I'm talking about me. I have, I have broken down places in my life. And because I know I have broken down places, I know I need somebody who can reconstruct, who can rebuild, who can, who, who can put the pieces back together again. That's why I love the song, Let Jesus fix it for you. He knows just what to do. Whenever you pray, let him have his way. And the testimony is he will fix it for you. Now, 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 one last thing I need you, you to see on this, and, 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 I, and we gone. He says, you have to look for it. Don't, don't, don't leave that part out. We, we talked about the constructive part and the fact that he can build up and the fact that he can fix things that are broken. But he says, he welcomes anyone looking for help. Now, that's where a lot of us mess up. Because to look for help, you got to acknowledge you got a problem. And for some of us, that's a hard thing to do. I don't know too many folk who go looking for solutions until they first acknowledge that they have a problem. I don't know too many people who go looking for answers until they first know how to formulate the question. And for many of us, we miss out right there on that point. We don't go looking for help. We go looking for wealth. We go looking for prosperity. We go looking to have our way. We go looking to, to, to make our enemies suffer. We go looking for a whole lot of stuff. We come to church on Sunday morning with a whole lot of stuff that we bring with us. None of it has to do with looking for help. Because many of us have already decided what the help ought to look like. 
Lord, this is all I need you to do. Lord, Lord, this is the problem. This is how I need you to fix it. That's not how it works. In order for you to experience the constructive power of God, you've got to be humble enough to look to him for the help. And then embrace the fact that the help might not look like what you think it ought to look like. But even if it doesn't look like what you think it ought to look like, even if it doesn't feel like what you think it ought to feel like, even if it leaves you in a momentary place worse than you were when you started, the wonderful thing about the God we serve is that he sees stuff that we don't see. You can't see but so far. And every time you think you know something, you don't. So, he is good. He is a hiding place in tough times. And he welcomes anyone looking for help, no matter how desperate the trouble. Just as I am without one plea. If there's one, we invite you to come. Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, and that thou biddest me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come. I repeat after me, please. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and give you peace. Amen. Y'all have a good evening.